Happy New Year. Please turn in your Bibles to the letter that Paul wrote to the church in Ephesus. If you have one of the visitors' Bibles, it's page 976, and we move on to chapter 2 in this series of Ephesians. Uh, Today, uh, we'll be looking at chapter 2, verses 1 to 10. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 to 10. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Before we look at this wonderful presentation of the gospel, let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word and for the way it has come to us um, in the Bibles that we have sitting in our laps in front of us. We pray that you would work um, beyond just these mere pages, but through your spirit to apply what you say to us, to our hearts and to our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, so far in um, Ephesians, um, it's been crystal clear uh, to us by Paul that he wants us to focus on God's work in Christ. Everything God is doing in this world, everything that God has done is through Christ. In chapter 1, Paul told us about God's work to unite and bring everything together in Christ. Last time out, Paul was talking about how God has given Christ full power and authority, and how Christ has been placed as the head over all things. And he says that the reason for this is for the church, which is his body. As we look at chapter 2, over the next two weeks, Paul explains what this actually means for us. We've got the message that Paul wants us to focus on God's work in Christ, the head over all things, And now we zoom in to see how that applies to us 
as the members of his body. Now, by the end of the chapter, we'll be talking about how God has welcomed believers into his house, into his temple to be the church. And we'll talk about how exciting that is and how privileged we are to be the church. But as joyful as this sounds, chapter 2 begins with quite a shock. Paul begins with a very direct diagnosis of the human condition. He says that the people God welcomes into his house aren't born good, they're not born holy and suitable Christians with the, the right entry requirements, but actually they're born dead in their sin. If we look down at verses 1 to 3, let's read again about the, uh, what people are, about who we are when we arrive in this world. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. So why is, why is Paul saying this? Well, Paul wants the Christians in Ephesus to know that every member of the church started out with the same diagnosis. We get a sense in this letter, and we'll see more of this next week, that in Ephesus there was a, a Jew and a Gentile divide. We get a sense that from Jewish false teachers, they're telling new Gentile converts that they need to do certain things to be a genuine member of God's house, to be the, the real deal. But Paul wants to make it very clear that all people, all Jews, including himself, started out spiritually dead as a doornail. That's what Paul is saying in these, these first three verses. And this means that the idea that we could do anything to help ourselves in any way spiritually is just a bit ridiculous. It's more than that, it's impossible. No matter who you are or, or where you come from, you're born as the walking dead. While you're not following God, Paul says in verses 1 and 2, you're, you're following the devil. And verse 3, you're living in the passions of the flesh. It's a, a grotesque description of, of, of how these bodies of ours are polluted and diseased with, with sin. This is our, our human nature. Children of wrath, unable to be in God's house, unable to be in his presence, our very existence causing offense to God. There's no good thing, no amount of volunteering, no amount of spiritual exercises, classes, or groups that can overcome this diagnosis. There's many groups that meet on a Sunday mornings, even in this building, that do some incredibly good and, and really fun things. Um, some really worthwhile things that help people's mental health, things that make people smile, and they're really helpful to a lot of people, and I'm so glad that they exist. 
But as great as these things are, Paul says, people who are not God's people are spiritually dead. Now, I don't know if I'd be as bold and direct to go down there and tell them that, but that's what the Bible says. It says our souls start out entirely polluted by sin. Like the the picture they started putting on cigarette packets of lungs. Everything we do is affected by it. That is our soul. To people who don't know God yet, who are not believers, I think of many people in my family, many of my friends, this may be really offensive. And I think a lot of them will just leave it at that. It's just offensive. But I pray and I hope that at the very least they find it surprising. Surprising that me and all of you, all of the people that go to Edinburgh North Church, say that they go to church not because they're really nice people and they were born that way, not because they were born to a lovely family and have this lovely tradition of going to church, but because they know they were born hopeless and horribly, inherently dead, desperately needing God. It doesn't matter who people are, from King Charles to the the poor people begging outside the co-op every morning. It doesn't matter what people do or, or what they look like. There isn't a single one of us outside of this diagnosis. And there's not a single one of us who can ignore this. This is relevant to every single one of us because this sin sickness is so severe and terminal. We don't really have a choice. We all need the treatment. Now, this is a, a very heavy start to the new year and a very heavy start to this chapter. But in verses 4 to 7, Paul explains the treatment of this diagnosis. Like when a a surgeon comes around to explain the operation or a doctor explaining the, the, the treatment that a patient needs, Paul explains in verses 4 to 7 how God treats the sin sickness. Paul explains there is only one possible way that the dead could be treated. Back in chapter 1, Paul told us that God works in immense power through Christ. And Paul prays that we would know this immense power by knowing Christ. Now here in chapter 2, it's this power that leads to the treatment of sin. The power that raises the dead by uniting people with Christ. What we have in verse 4 to 7 is the gospel, the power of Christ to give new life. As we read verses 4 to 7, just notice the emphasis of that that power, but also the, the kindness of God. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with it with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the coming ages 
he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Jesus Christ. His mercy and his love, verse 4. His grace, verse 5. How God positions us alongside Christ in heaven, verse 6. But I think the, the kindness is really brought out in verse 7 that explains that the kindness of God is about how when we are raised from the dead, that we will actually be on full display as the raised church in heaven. The reason we display that is because God himself has worked his salvation in Christ. So if you think about it, God chose to send his son, a part of himself, into the likeness of this sinful flesh. God didn't save from a distance, but God got his hands dirty and lowered himself into this situation that sinful, dead creatures would end up in the coming ages raised as, as the bride of Christ. That displays not our glory, but God's. This is incredible kindness just by the fact that we're there. This is, this is the gospel. But again, why is Paul saying this? Well, Paul doesn't want there to be any doubt any division or confusion about how much we all need Christ. In the first three verses, Paul showed us that we're brought into this terrible situation, a hopeless one, no matter who we are. And the false teaching that there's anything we, we need or could do to help ourselves out of this situation, um, it's, not, it's not just an alternative but it's actually very dangerous. In verses 4 to 7, Paul shows us that because we all share the same diagnosis, we all need to grab and take hold of not just the best, but the only treatment available to us. Paul is telling us that the gospel is the treatment, and the gospel is about how God raised us up with Christ, he seated us with him in the heavenly places. That's where people are going if they've received what is on offer. The central message to the, to the passage, really, and, and to the gospel, to the whole Bible, is that it is in Christ alone, verse 5, that we have new life. Only in Christ are the dead raised and given new life. We live in a world with amazing technology and people perform incredible surgery almost every day. But there's no one out there, no surgeon, no doctor, no spiritual teacher that can take a body that's already buried in the grave and bring them back to life. And yet, that's exactly what God will do one day. In Christ, God has already given us new life, spiritually speaking. But one day, this body of skin and these bones will die, and I will be buried. But I know, because I've put my soul in the healing hands of Christ, that I will also 
be raised from that very grave one day. And that's quite something to believe and take seriously. A lot of people really like Jesus. We see that it's true at Christmas time. A lot of people like the idea of this child being born and the way he would grow up to be a, a good teacher. I've had countless chats with guys in pubs about how Jesus is a great teacher, but does he really have to be the son of God bit and all that? But verse 4 to 7 tells us the way God loves us is by seeing our spiritual deadness and in his great mercy, he makes us alive in Christ. People may love the nativity of a, a baby and a donkey and a manger and all that jazz. The teaching of, of Jesus, some of it is quite nice and helpful. There's lots of good stuff about the church. We're all friendly most of the time. But the underlying, absolute, fundamental thing that must be dealt with is the sin sickness. I think of the people that I've known, that I've been friends with, and I've cared about that I don't see anymore, or the people that have died, and I've not told them this gospel. And when I read this passage, I think, I just, I can't make that mistake again. And I pray for anyone that is here today or, or people that we know that have still not yet reached out to Christ. I pray, please do it today. Ultimately, if we share the same diagnosis, there's only one treatment. That means we don't really have a choice. We have to gr grab hold of Christ. We've seen that we all start out with the same diagnosis and we all need the same treatment. And the comforting thing here is that God guarantees the same result. Many of us love novelty. We, we love to look different or be different. We like lots of variety in our diet, a, a large array of flavors. But when it comes to our health, do we want novelty? We want plain and boring, reliable results that will get the job done. We don't want a treatment that sort of works some of the time for some people. With the gospel, with God's healing work in Christ, we always get the same result. That's what Sinclair Ferguson calls the genius of God's salvation. So how come God can always achieve the same results with people? Well, notice in verses 8 to 10, the last three verses of our, our passage, how, how all of salvation is initiated by God's grace alone. It is achieved by great Christ alone, and it is through our faith alone. Even when we live in this new life we're given and, and live out what Paul calls good works, these are prepared by God. The reason we get the same result is because it's God's handiwork and it's not ours. 
With that in mind, let's read the, the final three verses. For by, by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. In verse 8, Paul says we are saved through faith. Is this our part in the salvation process? No. Paul immediately clarifies that faith doesn't contribute anything to the gracious salvation from God. Faith is included in the things given to us when we were walking dead in our sin. Notice how the word walk appears in verse 1 and then in verse 10, but in a very contrasting way of walking. God take those who were, verse 1, walking dead in their sin. He makes them alive in Christ. And so we should expect to see, verse 10, Christians walking in the good works God prepared for them. God isn't in the business of gambling on people's lives. When God saves someone, it is completely consistent in its sameness. Yes, we're all individuals and we all have different stories and we all have different pasts and we will serve in different ways and our life in God's house will look very different. But underneath it's the same Christ treating the same diagnosis for the same result. From walking dead to walking in good works. Now, in becoming a Christian, I'd, I'd heard so much about salvation as nothing I do. It was almost a weekly reminder, nothing I did, nothing I did. Um, and as the, the reformer Martin Luther made famous, it is by faith alone. And we see that clearly from this, this passage, from these final three verses. But for me, I got to the stage where I assumed that Anything that I did, God just hated it. Anything I did, however well-intended it was, it just made God sick at the sight of it. I assumed there were no good works. But Luther himself, in a commentary I read, says that God is pleased when we do good works. They don't earn salvation, but God loves them. I felt for me, I felt quite emotional hearing that. The great love of God that Paul speaks of in verse 4, it goes beyond just picking us up because we're fallen and in a miserable state, but actually being pleased when we're walking. God loves to see us living in our new life in Christ. Why wouldn't he? He is a God of love. And seeing us walk in good works not only reminds him of the great work in Christ that he's done, but it shows him how much we appreciate that work that Christ has done. It shows him how much we love him. But I think this also raises a, a question or a challenge. What of the people who claim to live in God's house but 
They don't seem to have started walking in a new way, in the new life given by Christ. What of the people who were once passionate, but they now no longer care if God's pleased? What of the long-time Christian who's now retired from doing all those good works? In the, uh, the great British classic TV show, Only Fools and Horses, Rodney uh, is a guy who's from a very poor background, and he's on a date uh, with a woman who's from a very wealthy background, and she lives on a, in a very nice part of town. She's called Cassandra. And at the end of the night, Cassandra is giving Rodney a lift home. But poor Rodney is very embarrassed, and he says to her, why don't you drop me off? I can't remember the name of the street. Very posh part of town and which she does, and so he's pretending that he lives in this really nice place. So he gets out of the car, but then she stays. She doesn't drive away. She wants to see him go into this, this lovely house. And so obviously we're left in this very awkward moment because we know he doesn't actually live there. Now the point is that anyone can claim to live in God's house. But unless the person actually lives as a member of God's house, then it's genuinely worrying. Has that person actually received Christ? Has that person placed themselves in God's hands for surgery? And look, you know, this doesn't come from some superior place of judgment. This, this comes from real concern and love. We want people to be part of God's house. We want them to be alive. But I think there's a, there's a challenge for all of us here. I mean, for those who, of us who have been in God's house for a while now, it can be very easy to just switch off and go with the flow. We live here, so what? Usually at the, the start of the new year, we're tempted to ask, what changes can we make to our lives? How can we turn over a new leaf? What new year resolutions can we make? Paul is saying here that we should be asking God, what changes does he want to make in our life? After all, it's by God's work we are saved. And it's by God's ongoing work that we walk in the good works he's prepared for us. We're never too young nor too old, nor too clever or holy for God's work in our lives. We must always be trusting God to, to keep putting away any sin in our life that proves a, a barrier for holiness and for spiritual growth and maturity. We are the body of Christ, and through him we enter into God's house and as we remain the body, we must remember that Christ alone is working to heal the sin sickness and build his church, this church. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much that you have saved us. We thank you that we are justified before you. We thank you that this is a done deal and it is sorted because we have come to you and been given new life in Christ. We thank you for that and we pray that people would 
would know you for the first time who don't. We pray that you would draw people nearer to you. And we pray for us as, as a church family that you would remove any pride that gets in the way from us constantly, constantly, constantly calling on you to help us grow and mature in holiness. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.